1: hello and welcome to another episode of ain't it scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean and I'm the very titular Carrie Well last week we got into our our, our science uh, we put our science hat on we put our thinking hat on yeah this week we want to show you we can be cultured too culture we, yeah we like art and uh <laughs> art and and paintings mm-hmm. and um and you know you know culture culture quote unquote
2: yeah. Yeah, last week was definitely full of existential despair, at least for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so but this week we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty of a good old fashioned curse.
1: We love we stand a curse.
2: <laughs> hmm. So this kind of uh,
1: Carrie, what's your favorite curse?
2: My favorite curse. Yeah.
1: <sighs> Fuck. Oh. <laughs> no. What's your favorite like curse? I mean,
2: yes, but you know, it's so satisfying. You yeah. could use it so many ways. Yeah. Um, ending
1: on a consonant is so important.
2: Gosh, I love a curse. I mean, I did love when we covered King Tut's curse in, I think it was episode 16. Sure was. That's one of my favorites because I I loved it as a kid. Um, I was fascinated by it as a kid. It was one of the first kind of curses I ever think I heard of. So that's definitely close to my heart as much Mm -hmm. as curses can be. What about you?
1: Um, I think the curse that uh, gave Angel a soul in Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
2: Spoilers! Yeah, it's pretty good. I love Angel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Isn't, that's not your real answer, though.
1: I don't know if I have a favorite curse. <laughs> Probably King Tut. I, I just wanted a cool answer.
2: I wanted to be one of the cool kids. You're so cool with your favorite curse. Uh. So this kind of comes close to home for me in in an unexpected way. So I'm going to bring us back to the the heady year of 2012.
1: Oh, the Um, end of the Mayan calendar.
2: Yeah, right before that, like the summertime, when we're uh, wondering if that's going to happen. Who was? And not realizing that things are about to get much, much worse Mm -hmm. in about a decade. So... After college, which I graduated in 2012, um, I started diving deeper into stories of the weird and the bizarre. I had had a spooky themed Tumblr, which was fairly popular. Shocking. During my college, uh, later college years. And um, I actually think this creative ho- outlet helped me realize that I was comfortable with my interests. You know, I was always kind of one of the emo kids in high school and stuff like that. That was the big time for it. I always liked weird stuff. I was big on Halloween. But I think this, uh, you know, at this point, I was kind of getting comfortable with just being weird all the time.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Carrie we know and love today.
2: Thanks. And so at this point, I'm watching more kind of TV shows and things like that about weird stuff and um the the big ghost hunting boom in television had started so a lot more shows were coming on
1: ghost your ghost adventures
2: yeah your ghost hunters and whatnot and one that caught my attention was the william shatner hosted tv show weird or what
1: yeah so by the way he just had to he couldn't let leonard nimoy have that corner all these years Uh, later he had to come for him i I just one of those that might
2: have been why they asked him to do it i think he did it for a paycheck i don't think he was coming for anyone except his paycheck
1: i don't think william shatner does things for money
2: (laughs) so on the show they would present like a few stories an episode um sometimes around a certain theme and one of the episodes had a story about a cursed painting of a crying boy and, you know, I love a curse, Sean.
1: I, I thought you were going to say, you know, I love a crying boy. <laughs> I
2: love weeping children. <laughs> uh, no, I love tales of cursed objects or places. A lot of them have roots in like mythology or religion or like weird stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was super interested in this and it stuck in my mind because I'd never heard of it before. And I was like, I've heard of everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah.
1: i I hear you yes that's your catchphrase almost you wake up in the morning and i say good morning dear i've heard
2: of everything
1: thank you i know
2: porridge sir please
1: okay porridge again
2: (laughs) so later that very same summer i'm visiting my mother's family in lisbon portugal and Lisbon is a fascinating place. I think we're actually gonna try and do a mini sode on our Patreon about Portuguese superstitions.
1: Oh, I thought you were surprising me with a trip.
2: <laughs> and we're going there. Woo! Hey! No, I'm sure we are. <laughs> because my mom's from there. But um yeah, it's it's a it's a weird place. It's uh it's kind of like other capitals in Europe where the modern and like the very old co-mingle. Um I think it's One of the, if not the most, the oldest um, capital in Europe. Wow. So I suppose I should have expected to find something cursy there, but I didn't expect the format it would come in.
1: Did you see ghosts too?
2: I've never seen a ghost in Portugal.
1: Hmm. The Caroline McCabe story.
2: (laughs) She's never seen a ghost in Portugal. So, I walked into my Tia Maria's house and I noticed a painting on the wall that must have been there for decades, but I also hadn't been there for like five years. I'm sure I'd grown a bit. Mm-hmm. It was it was a little high off the ground. Um, but I was, I was now viewing it with an educated eye, so it, it jumped out at me. It was an eerie portrait of a young boy crying. Mm-hmm. In context, even, it's a weird bit of art for my aunt and uncle to have. Like, they didn't have any children. Uh So why have the image of one on the wall? And why would you want one of a child that looked so tragic?
1: Well, like you, they're cheered by weeping children.
2: (laughs) Sound or sight of. Must be in the genetics. Uh, So one Google search on my shoddy Portuguese Mm Wi-Fi. And I realized that this was a genuine... Asterisk, crying boy painting.
1: Why the asterisk? Because it was a print?
2: Kind of, but I'll get into it later. There are actually a variety of them. So surprisingly, I had found myself face to despondent face <laughs> with a cursed painting in real life that I could reach out and touch if I wanted to. And it made me a little unnerved to be in the presence of it. Once I got home, I dove into the story of the crying boy curse. I had to get you know deeper in than uh, william shatner did in weird or what oh i
1: thought you're gonna say than william shatner did in green women
2: Ew. <laughs> and that's on the- star trek I-, I know we'll be we'll be discussing the crying boy today <laughs> so sean I love a good curse, like I said, Mm -hmm. and more modern curses I find particularly fascinating. So not your king's tut, sure, if you will, Um, because as, as technology and science has developed, I think we've kind of lost that constant interaction that we used to have with superstitions and curses and things like that. Because as a society, we've discovered reasons behind a lot of things that are based in logic and science, and so many of these fears have fallen away.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it this one with the round cheeks?
2: Um, that's the most famous one, but not all of these superstitions have fallen away, Sean. Of course, that's why we have this podcast. You know, it's right. about it's about the weird stuff that still surrounds us today, even despite science mm-hmm. and logic and. Reason. <laughs> <laughs> the crying boy curse is one of these modern superstitions. And as far as I can tell, the main superstition began with an article by Martin Sharp in a November 1985 issue of Britain's The Sun newspaper.
1: Oh, The Sun, one of the most reputable uh, journal, j- journalistic bastions. <laughs> we'll
2: be talking about The Sun a lot this episode. <laughs> this article was titled Blazing Curse of the Crying Boy.
1: Yeah, the the Brits are good with a headline.
2: <laughs> with the subtitle, "Picture's a fire jinx."
1: Picture's a fire jinx. What?
2: <laughs> it's a statement. Picture is a fire jinx. The picture. Oh, I see.
1: The 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 boy is the picture.
2: Yes. There's also a large picture of a painting of a boy crying, and this one is a different particular crying boy painting than that adorned my tia's wall in Lisbon, with the caption. Tears for Fears, the portrait that firemen claim is cursed.
1: Tears for Fears? It was 1985, Sean. Shout, (laughs) shout, let it all
2: out. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the vibe right up front. It's just, everything's an exclamation point.
1: Come on! This is basically, what is this, like
2: the the UK's version of
1: New York Post? I'm talking to you. I think it's more of a tabloid than The Post, but I'm speaking out of school because I don't live in the UK or read uh, their newspapers very closely.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a tabloid, but I would say it's probably closer to like the National Enquirer side than the Weekly World News, Elvis gives birth to Alien Baby side.
1: It's not a fun bat boy newspaper. No, no.
2: I love the Weekly World News so much.
1: Me too. So much. That's why I became a a reporter, the Weekly World News. Wow. Mm -hmm. Inspiration. (laughs)
2: So the article begins with a couple named Ron and May Hall laughing off warnings that there was a jinx on their painting of a tot with tears running down his face. So, of course, you know that some curse is going to tell them where to stuff those laughs, right, Sean? Sure. Apparently, Ron's brother Peter was a firefighter in Rotherham, and he told them that these paintings popped up unusually often at the scenes of the house fires They've been investigating.
1: Wow, do they pop up in the landfills you burn over coal
2: mines? (laughs) Maybe. Peter's colleague, station officer Alan Wilkinson, claimed that he'd recently responded to at least 15 different house fires where everything had been pretty much gutted. Except, of course, a crying boy painting left perfectly intact.
1: Now that, that is out of a movie. That's 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 one of
2: the main parts of this. So the halls, after their ribbing of those concerned about their teary toddler painting, experienced, what do you think, Sean?
1: I'm going to guess a house fire.
2: (laughs) A terrible fire that destroyed their council home in Rotherham, a mining town in South Yorkshire, after a blaze broke out in a chip pan. Mm. And this is basically, I think they're like frying French fries, basically
1: us americans speaking of mining towns uh my reference to burning garbage was uh i i forgot we were in a different episode now
2: (laughs) yeah we just did a a patreon mini-sode about centralia pennsylvania so get at us over on patreon .patreon www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary plug (laughs) so there there's a fire started in the chip pan and rapidly spread Although the rooms of the first floor of the home were badly damaged, the framed crying boy print in one of these rooms was absolutely unblemished, still hanging amidst the wreckage.
1: Wow. And they were they were ribbing their.
2: um... They were like, we love this crying child. It's not a curse. And then their their house goes up in flames,
1: which is sad for them, for sure. Everyone stop talking about how much you like seeing this boy cry.
2: Yeah. Though the two firemen quoted in the article hadn't actually called the painting cursed, you know, with that wording. The son...
1: Well, because they were speaking um, Portuguese or is this in English? is <laughs> in English. Okay.
2: Cursed. <laughs> uh, but the son took the liberty and it gave the story some credibility because, you know, it's a newspaper. Even if it's a tabloid, it's still a newspaper. Right. But why did so many british families have a print of a weeping toddler
1: on their wall is it that's what I, 15
2: is 15 too many
1: I, <laughs> why does anyone have the painting uh well i'm looking at a few of these crying boy pictures uh here the one that seems the most common uh has a boy with uh, a round ruddy cheeks and uh he's very sad he's crying yeah there yeah he there, there's uh Tears running down his cheeks, but it's tears nice. for fears. Tears for fears. Shall I'm talking to you. Shout! Come on! Let it all- <laughs> In a round?
2: Let it all out?
1: No, we were just no, we were just. Oh yes, yes.
2: Much like, um, row row row
1: your boat. Yes.
2: Isn't yes. that how that song is supposed to go?
1: Yeah, actually, that's <laughs> the only way I listen to it. Is I line up three stereos mm. and I wait so I can hear it in the room.
2: And then you also put on the Wizard of Oz and. Oh, yeah. Try to sync it up.
1: And it links up, dude. The first three minutes of The Wizard of Oz sync up so good with Shout by Tears for Fears. It'll
2: blow your mind,
1: bruh. Anyway, this is... (laughs) The paintings are good. Like, they're well-done paintings. They're good work. It is still weird subject matter. Yeah. If it's not your child.
2: Or even if it was. Yeah,
1: like... Like, what would you do? Like, if it was your child, just be like, look, look what I did to you. I made you cry. Kids are cute crying sometimes. And there are photos of me and my sisters, like, like screaming as children. There's
2: one of you and Kim on the Easter Bunny's lap. And you're both very upset about it that I adore. I want to frame that one.
1: Yeah. And my mom didn't frame (laughs) that, but she kept it forever because that's silly. It's a great picture. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, this kind of goes back to the phenomena of mass produced art. Nowadays, you'd basically find it's like in American stores like Kohl's, TJ Maxx, Target, Home Goods. Oh,
1: but now it's just a wooden sign that says like, if you ain't got wine, I ain't got time. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: These are prints or other kinds of art that are sold wall-ready and mass. There are trends in mass art, like you've just described. Um, These modern wooden quote blocks, which I I like some of them. I like ones that are more sassy or talking about a dachshund. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I am sassy and I have a dachshund. Um, (laughs) Confirmed. (laughs) Ray Dunn pieces, uh, which are, if you've been to TJ Maxx or Home Goods, you've seen them. They're like mugs or or other kind of pottery pieces that have like long, skinny words on them.
1: Oh, I know you don't like a long, skinny. (laughs) Oh, the ones that are like, it's a tall coffee. It'll be like drink. Joe. Period. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Um. Or signs proclaiming live, laugh, love, which has been a trend that people are calling um chugy is the word
1: that the youths are using. I don't know what that means. It's
2: basically basic. It's very basic of you to like these things because it's mass produced, right? So it seems like you're not really.
1: It's a statement of identity that rolled off an assembly line. Exactly. After rolling out of a boardroom's head.
2: So this is kind of. What these crying boy paintings were. Um, it, it was the same in the 80s. They were just different trends. I'm not sure how <laughs> such a painting became a mass produced art piece, and I don't think we have found that out. But apparently, around this era, over 50,000 crying boy prints signed G. Brigolin had been sold in British department stores, especially those in working class areas in northern England.
1: Wow. Oh look what I got at Igby's.
2: <laughs> One story even suggested a quarter of a million of these prints had been sold, but perhaps they weren't all the original G Bragglean portraits but variations on this
1: trend. Mary, it's a boy. <laughs> look at him crying, the little fop. So he's, you he's so just
2: like you might have a uh, a sign nowadays that's just white text on black saying live, laugh, love, but you also might have another kind that's uh, like scripty font on a green background or whatever. There were variations on this crying boy theme.
1: And in both cases, if you have multiple of them in your home, I don't want to be in your home.
2: (laughs) I don't want to really be around one of them. It's just a weird thing to have in your wall, but... I'm not an artist, so.
1: But imagine you're in someone's kitchen. And there's just a weeping child on the wall. It's weird. Different weeping children, several. <laughs> oh. I
2: don't know if uh, if a lot of these people had, like, different ones, but... Oh,
1: would you like to see the collection? <laughs> these
2: are my children. So they weren't all originals, right? They're, they're not, like, directly from G. Braggolin. They're not hand-painted pieces. They're prints. Maybe this print was cursed, that's what the sun's position seemed to be.
1: The sun's the sun's taking a stance on this. <laughs> it
2: took a firm stance.
1: Curses are real. <laughs>
2: this is cursed. Here, I'm going to quote Dr. David Clark, who has a PhD in British folklore and has covered the crying boy case extensively, and whose re- research I'm using a ton of in this episode. So, thanks, David. Quote. The mass media plays a crucial role in creating and spreading modern folklore. Stories like The Crying Boy behave much like a virus when they take root in the imagination of the masses. Furthermore, tabloid news values and the priority given to providing a good story frequently override accuracy and skepticism, particularly where uncanny or supernatural events are concerned.
1: Now, I think your accent work was great there, but I have a feeling you'll hear from your father about it. Why? I was
2: just.
1: It was great. You did great. <laughs> the editor of oh, the. Oh, Terry, you're back. There was a British man sitting in here one second ago.
2: <laughs> but was he sexy? Oh, uh,
1: he. he... hmm. Made you confused. Mm-hmm. He had them humps. <laughs> them humps? He had them humps.
2: <laughs> Which side? The front or back? Oh, both. Both humps. Four humps. Yeah. Like, like a camel.
1: Like a double dromedary. Oh, <laughs> who? A dromedary, I think, is a camel with two humps.
2: Ugh, how do you even know that?
1: A dromedary might also—it might also just be a word for camel that people confuse for that other thing. It's unclear. I've never heard.
2: No one's confused it for anything. Okay. The editor of the Sun, Kelvin Mackenzie, had apparently announced to his staff at the time that the crying boy story had legs. Uh-huh. And so they published a follow up the next day. That's ironic
1: because almost none of these paintings <laughs> have legs. They're all kind of chest up shots. When
2: a story has legs, it means it has longevity keep going.
1: I'm a newsman, Caroline. I'm, I know this.
2: I'm talking to the audience, Sean. Oh,
1: audience. Let me explain. When a story has <laughs> legs. <Fuck> you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. They published a follow up the next day, September 5th, 1985. In this story, The Sun reported that scores of horrified readers claiming to be victims of the Crying Boy curse had flooded the newspaper with calls. And still more were beside themselves with worry because they owned the print, but they hadn't been targeted yet.
1: Yeah, you got to the value on this painting is going to drop as people (laughs) sell, sell, sell.
2: And they uh, they also published some of these new incoming stories. Dora Mann from Surrey claimed her home was destroyed in a fire six months after she bought one of the Crying Boy prints saying, all of my paintings were destroyed except the one of the Crying Boy.
1: Wow. I I love the repeated detail that the Crying Boy painting survives. That's the
2: thing. Like, you, you gotta have that in there. Sandra Cask in North Yorkshire told the paper that she, her sister-in-law, and a friend had all experienced fires in their home after they purchased copies of the painting. Which truly begs the question, why?! <laughs> Why are you buying this depressing print? Why did you and two friends
1: all buy the (laughs) same weird painting of a child crying?
2: It's like they want it to be so no matter where they go, if it's their sister's (laughs) or their friend's house, they can still see this sad, sad little boy.
1: I always need a view of this fictional child.
2: It's not the goddamn Mona Lisa. I don't understand it. It's sad. It makes me sad to look at.
1: Yeah, they both have haunting eyes, though. Brian
2: Parks suffered a devastating fire in his home that required his wife and three children to get medical treatment for smoke inhalation. And upon returning from the hospital and finding the painting hanging undamaged on an otherwise blackened wall in his living room, promptly destroyed it himself.
1: I wish wish there were photographs of some of this.
2: Like the fires? I want to see
1: the blackened wall with the untouched painting on it.
2: Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I haven't really found any of, of that, you
1: know, like that kind of proof. Because that would be very interesting. It's one thing to hear somebody say that that happened, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. As the story continued to gain traction, even more supernatural elements gathered like moss on this rolling stone of spookiness. <laughs> An owner of a print located in London saw it swing from side to side while hanging on the wall.
1: Oh, so now we've expanded to just full poltergeist <laughs> Yeah, activity. possession. Mm-hmm.
2: Another said her 11-year-old son caught his private parts on a hook after she brought
1: the picture home. Well, 11 is a strange time in a boy's life.
2: It just seems like weird bad luck and a bit of a stretch to be related to this painting. Like maybe if he set himself on fire or something, but... Right,
1: if he set his his private parts (laughs) on fire.
2: It sounds like he was just walking around,
1: wilding out. I've been an 11-year-old.
2: Let's not. Let's (sighs) not go there. A woman named Rose Farrington wrote in to The Sun, stating that since I brought it... Since I bought it in 1959, my three sons and husband have all died. So I don't know if she's talking about an original or a different crying boy.
1: Because this was
2: in department stores in the
1: 80s. Right. Maybe she owned the original painting. (laughs) Maybe she mass produced it to uh, like she had prints made to to set her. I've lost my family. Now everyone else has to. Mm -hmm. The world experiences her misfortune. Two
2: different readers attempted to destroy their prints by fire, but claimed it would not burn at all. If we go back to Fireman Alan Wilkinson from our first story, who had uh, discussed his experience with the Crying Boy Fires, even he didn't think there was anything supernatural about it. Though he felt the fires were caused by simple human carelessness and nothing paranormal, he did have no explanation for why so many of these prints would survive the fires unscathed. And I think it was his wife that said, um, it's the boy's tears that prevents the paintings from catching on fire. Oh,
1: come <laughs> on. It's, it's like,
2: okay. It's
1: creepy. That's the line. Of, that's the line you end this short film on, you know.
2: Thanks, Mrs. Wilkinson. <laughs> so who is the G Braglin that created the original Crying Boy painting and did he do so with some sort of malicious intent, like a curse? Are we going to find out? Maybe. <laughs> Though the son stated he was an Italian artist due to his signed name, G. Braglin or Giovanni Bragglin, this was a name used by Spanish painter Bruno Amadio, and he also used another pseudonym, Franchot Seville.
1: Okay. Franchot?
2: Frenchot, Franchot. Francho. I'm going to say Frencho.
1: I think that's probably right.
2: And like I mentioned, there wasn't just one version of a Crying Boy painting. Even Bragglin himself had done different varieties. Um, but there are different kinds of Crying Boy portraits purported to be cursed, and not all of them were painted by Amadio as braglin The original, as you said, depicts a boy with blue eyes and short light brown hair crying and looking out
1: at the audience. He's got like a robe on and his hand <laughs> behind his neck, too. It's kind of... Kind of weird. Stop. Look. He doesn't have his hand behind his neck. Yeah, his hand's like back here. Like, like he's relaxing, like Hugh Hefner or what something in a smoking jacket. About? Look at him. You're he's, saying he's not in a smoking jacket? <laughs> no.
2: The only thing is smoking is your house, baby. <laughs> now, like I said, Amadio painted variations on this with different positions or different children. I think there were mostly boys. Um, But there were others who were also reported to be part of the fire phenomenon, Uh, and this includes ones painted by Scottish artist Anna Zinkezen as part of her series Childhood. Hmm. These depicted a blondish toddler boy looking up and away from the viewer while crying. The one in my aunt's Portuguese home was a boy that looks a tiny bit older, maybe around five with shaggy or light brown hair and crying eyes, but he also has a hand raised supporting his chin.
1: Oh, he's in like a thinker?
2: Yeah, here you can kind of...
1: Oh, I saw that one over here somewhere, but I thought it was a girl.
2: No, it's it's just longer hair. Yeah.
1: So, like... Big juicy tears on that boy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but he's also kind of like, meh, like whatever, I'm crying. Yeah. He doesn't look as despondent as the other one. He's not
1: put out by it. <laughs>
2: uh, so they're not all from one specific artist, but they are all grouped into the phenomena. So that brings us to a mysterious fire in Rotherham reported on by, you guessed it, the sun. Ah,
1: uh, Well, they're following this story. Nobody else has the courage.
2: <laughs> the gumption.
1: To take on big painting.
2: So it's, it's not the original fire, but it's coincidentally set in the same area, Rotherham. In this fire, it was in Kiesin's print that was the one left unscathed by the fire. Mm. So across these, even if it's not the G. Bragglen prints, they're still not burning. Widespread panic over the curse and the apparent masses of Britons who owned it prompted the South Yorkshire Fire Service to issue an official statement attempting to debunk the curse with Chief Divisional Officer Mick Riley stating that any connection with the fires is purely coincidental. Fires are not started by pictures a coincidence, but by careless acts and omissions. The reason why this picture is not always destroyed in the fire is because it is printed on high-density hardboard, which is very difficult to ignite. Was that true? That's what he said. Okay. That may not have been true of all of the variations of the Crying Boy painting, but maybe it was common among those that were mass produced. However, there were some like my aunt's that were created to kind of look more like paintings, and hers was almost looking like decoupaged onto a wooden background.
1: Oh, okay. So there were different versions. Like some things you might get at, at Michael's, like a wooden sign?
2: Yeah, but it was a little like she clearly bought it. Like she
1: didn't, she didn't do it herself. No, no, no. I mean, like the Doctor Who sign that it like wouldn't kind print of, a, but more obviously
2: like decoupage, like a picture on a background. Nevertheless, you know, the panic persisted, and Sun editor Mackenzie told readers to send in their crying boy pictures if they were so worried about it, and <laughs> almost they, sarcastic. Yeah, they would destroy it for them, and presumably remove the fire curse from their homes. So, we'll follow up with the great crying boy bonfire after the break.
0: <gasps> this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Connecticut's first ever
2: paranormal convention is coming this summer.
1: Paracon.
2: Paracon will be held Saturday and Sunday, July 24th and 25th, 2021 at the haunted Ansonia Armory in Ansonia, Connecticut.
1: And guess who's going
2: to be there? This Haunted Weekend will feature special guests, paranormal investigations, seminars, panels, vendors, exhibits, and much, much more. Paracon is presented by Nick Grossman, head of Ghost Storm Investigations and collector of some of the rarest paranormal artifacts in the world. And Charles Rosanay, founder of Stratford's Fright Haven and director of Tours of Terror, ghost tours to Transylvania, Prague, England, and all over haunted Connecticut.
1: Yeah, we've been to Fright Haven. Uh, when we went, he had a, one, one of the rooms was uh, all clown-themed. It was a bunch of scary clown stuff, but you wore 3D glasses. It was pretty cool.
2: That was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre,
1: wasn't it? Uh, yes, they do seasonal offerings, not just Halloween. That was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre.
2: It was a beautiful date. Our first Valentine's Day. So who will be at Paracon? Guests include Paranormal Investigator Barry Pierrot. Author Bill Hall, who, you may remember, wrote The World's Most Haunted House, subject of episodes 17 and 18 of the podcast.
1: Yep. Go check those out. Some of our very best work, Mm -hmm.
2: I think. And us. Yeah, we'll be there, too, in person to chat all things scary. So come on down and meet us.
1: I guess I spoiled your surprise there. But yes, we will have a booth at Paracon, and we're so damn excited that we'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Do
2: you like to shop? Well, they'll have their own bizarre, bazaar: haunt artists, horror authors, cryptozoologists, artisans, occult sellers, and much more will be there. So bring some bones, the money kind and a good pair of walking shoes.
1: You can bring the other kind of bones, too, if you if you
2: want yeah maybe you can sell them who knows we hope to see you there get your tickets now for only 9.99 per day through may 1st at www.paracon p-a-r-a-c-o-n-n paracon connecticut's first paranormal convention
1: welcome back When last we left you, we had heard the fascinating, scintillating, and horrifying details (laughs) of a series of house fires that apparently were centered around not even always the same print, a a, a series of prints of crying boys, Mm -hmm. um, which tend to be untouched by the flames. Mm -hmm. And uh, Caroline, you had teased just before the break that we were going to... um, Maybe get get something of an explanation on this, or at least uh, an origin story.
2: Yeah, so the sun had told people to send in their crying boys if they wanted to get rid of them, and some people did because they were freaked out by the sun. Uh Um, So at this point, 25...
1: The sun, this was their master plan. They've cornered the market (laughs) on uh, pictures of crying children. (laughs)
2: Uh, at this point, 2,500 different Crying Boy paintings were sent into the sun's offices for a ritual disposal. Ritual disposal? Basically, the sun was saying, we'll, we'll do it and we'll make sure it's all good.
1: Okay. <laughs> they were like, we know how to do rituals. Yeah. Trust me.
2: They were all burned on a makeshift pyre with the sun reporting on the successful bonfire on, you guessed it, Halloween. Hey! Under the headline, Sun Nails Curse of the Weeping Boy for Good. Oh, so they got to take credit for it, too. Yeah, of course. They even included a pin-up type picture with it, so to speak, with a scantily clad, red hot page three beauty Sandra Jane Moore feeding the fire.
1: Great. <laughs>
2: so they had like little like models there taking pictures with this fire of crying children paintings. And
1: they're like feeding the, the painting <laughs> into the... <laughs> <Ooh>.
2: <laughs> So that's it. They're all disposed of and everyone lived happily ever after, right? Mm
1: -hmm. If you ever wanted to take any, like, you know, boudoir shots.
2: (laughs) Of me stoking the flames of crying boy paintings. Yeah, I
1: think that would be a way to go. That's interesting.
2: (laughs) Well, not everyone lived happily ever after. There are a couple things here. 2,500 destroyed prints doesn't erase the rest of the possible 250,000 that had been sold. I mean, clearly, because my aunt in Portugal somehow got her hands on a version. Right. But also the sun had whipped everyone into such a frenzy that even when interest waned in the original story, the legend still remained. People remembered it.
1: They don't necessarily remember that they read it in the sun. They just remembered that time that that painting caused the fires. Mm
2: -hmm. And the internet in its way would help spread the legend and give people the opportunity to embellish it especially when it came to the root issue with the whole mystery why did this painting cause fires specifically if that's the whole point here it's not a painting of a burned child or a, a fire itself right so why did this crying boy cause fires a website claimed in the 90s that fires were resuming at this point Stating, quote, a medium claims the spirit of the boy is trapped in the painting and it starts fires in an attempt to burn the painting and free itself. Others claim the painting is haunted or attracts poltergeist activity. Story of the artist's and subject's misfortune had attached themselves to the painting. So that's one explanation. It's just a medium. So I don't know.
1: Sure. I mean, I mean, why not? The idea that the boy's trying to burn the painting And even the painting is like no 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 Uh 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 (laughs) Uh
2: yeah Then the story Was conjured up yet again In a book called Haunted Liverpool By Tom Sleeman You might remember this book and its author From our episode on time slips You
1: you love Tom Sleeman
2: Sleeman (laughs) Yeah this is episode number 12 Where he discussed uh, A time slip occurring in liverpool that's right so this this has come up again
3: mm-hmm.
1: he's the he's the, he was the sun's uh, paranormal columnist
2: oh really for the for the sun newspaper
1: yeah i th- I, th- I believe those reports were in the sun as well
2: that's funny <laughs> here he brought up the crying boy curse once again and embellished on it as well with a few facts that dr david clark remarks aren't necessarily correct
1: I think it might have been a Liverpool paper, actually. Don't quote me on that. Go listen to the episode.
2: Yes. <laughs> Sleeman stated in The Crying Boy Jinx that the head of the Yorkshire Fire Brigade had told newspapers that the Crying Boy print had turned up in the rubble of houses that mysteriously had burned to the ground. And when journalists asked him if he believed the picture was evil, the fire chief refused to comment. Well... Fi- but this doesn't appear to be the case because there were official comments by several different fire station sources in those original stories.
1: Well, they probably failed to get a comment from him on that question at the scene. And then later on, they followed up with the fire department. And they got comments. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, he had apparently discovered the cause of the fire part of the curse through a well-respected researcher into occult matters, retired schoolmaster from Devon named George Mallory.
1: Oh, if the listeners could hear the finger quotes.
2: <laughs> Apparently, Mallory told Sleeman a story of tracing the painting to the original artist and then meeting the artist himself. Hmm. He discovered that the original portrait was by a Spanish artist named Franchot Seville, a.k.a. Bruno Amadillo's other pseudonym. Right. Right. And he was able to find him living in Madrid. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, this is not Sleeman. This is Mallory telling Sleeman that he did this. Yes. So apparently, Amadio, Amadio Amadio told Mallory that the subject of these particular paintings was a street urchin he'd found wandering the Madrid streets in 1969, who never spoke and had a look of sorrow in his eyes. hmm
1: Here, put on this smoking jacket. I'll make you a star.
2: (laughs) A Catholic priest identified the child as Don Bonillo, a youngster who had run away after seeing his parents die in a fire.
1: That's a little known um, Mozart opera.
2: (laughs) Quote, the priest told the artist to have nothing to do with the runaway because wherever he settled, fires of unknown origin would mysteriously break out. The villagers called him Diablo because of this.
1: This sounds pretty made up. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Amadio said, fuck it, and he adopted the kid anyway. What? Because he's an adorable little urchin, and he wanted to paint his little face.
1: He adopted the the flame boy? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Unfortunately, after painting the child, and despite these portraits selling well, Amadio's studio was destroyed by a fire. What do you know? Amadio, in a rage, accused the child of arson, and Bonillo ran off in tears, never to be seen or heard from again. Until 1976, Oh. when a car exploded in flames after crashing into a wall on the outskirts of Barcelona.
1: You specify in flames. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, of course. The victim's body was charred beyond recognition, but his license was only partially burned, and the name? Don Bonillo. No! Non Bonio!
1: No! Carrie! <laughs> oui. We! That's French. See! He, he, he finally blew himself up. You did it! You blew it all up!
2: <laughs> now, attempts to trace Lehman's story in haunted Liverpool to a George Mallory or even another painter named Franco Seville or Giovanni Bragolin have remained unsuccessful. So, who knows about the veracity of this account? We really have just Sleeman's word that this George Mallory guy did this and exists. Right. I will say, though, it does seem Bruno Amadio is a real person. And I did find a picture that I think is of him painting a young boy looking sad in his studio.
1: I would just... My guess would be, yeah, that part of the story I didn't doubt. It's just that when Tom Sleeman, who also (laughs) wrote that thing about the lady like... The guy who was running from the cops, and then all of a sudden he was in 1963 or Mm -hmm. whatever. Tom's got a taste for the sensational, a flair for the dramatic, if you will.
2: And don't we all.
1: And don't we all. But I don't know if Tom's secondhand story is enough for me to get past the whiff of bullshit I get (laughs) off of the, like, And that boy caused fires all around him, and his name was El Diablo. Don Bonillo. Uh, so, So... I don't think that I would guess that the Don painter,
2: Bonillo and La Pascualita should get together.
1: Does this painter who's a real guy have a, an adopted son named Don Bonillo?
2: Uh, I don't think so.
1: Well, OK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bet he he, he he sounds like he really painted this painting, though.
2: Yes. The Bruno Amadio did. Yeah. yeah. Dr. David Clark appeared on a 2002 show called Scream Team to discuss the legend, and soon after, newspaper The Star—another version of The Sun, I guess—announced that the curse had returned. A fire had claimed a house in—where do you think? Liverpool? Rotherham. (laughs) Right where the legend began. Uh. The owner of the home, Stan Jones, said this was only the latest of three fires in the house— Since he had uh, purchased a print of The Crying Boy for two pounds at a flea market a decade previously. It was
1: two pounds. Get rid of the painting.
2: (laughs) Well, the weird thing is everyone who talks about this painting, this experience of like why they bought it and everything, they're like, he just struck me. He was just so sad. His eyes were so soulful. I just wanted to to buy him and bring him home.
1: Well, like I said, it does look like good work. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The most recent addition to the story is from a forum called Quasimondo, which still exists on the Wayback Machine. I think it's like some sort of art, like digital art type of thing.
1: Oh, I thought it was discussing those um, uh, squeeze juice bottles from the 90s. (laughs) Mondo.
2: In 2004, someone posted a a GIF made with the painting as the base image, so kind of like a a demonstration almost. Um, I couldn't see what the image was because that was on the Wayback Machine, but I think it was probably just like he was making it cry or or move its face or something. Mm -hmm. And many responses ensued by those familiar with the legend and even stating that they were owners of a crying boy painting themselves. A poster claiming to be from Brazil named Rodrigo responded to the image with the following, which I've abridged a bit, and um, if this is really someone from Brazil, the English is not their first language and there were a lot of typos, but this is basically it. Hi, I'm from Brazil and these paintings are well known here. The author is Giovanni Bragolin and feelings of terror and illness are always associated with his paintings. The author painted 28 confirmed paintings of various children crying. Those paintings were very famous here in Brazil in mid-80s. These paintings, after some closer investigations, show you some really nasty and horrendous scenes. I've seen all the 28, and I can assure you all of those paintings are representing dead children. These paintings are filmed with subliminal evil messages. For example, in the photo above, the right face and left torso of the child are severely burned with even some bones showing off in his shoulder. You can clearly see his ribs beneath his shirt. The pupils are dilated despite the fact of light in every painting. Another clue that children are dead already. Every painting has those terrible, subtle messages.
1: Um, was that person talking about, oh, you can't, you you (laughs) could not tell tell which one it was. It's not the one with the smoking jacket. I just
2: know it was a G. G Bragolin one. Please, if you have one of those paintings, throw it away right now. Giovanni Bragolin regretted his actions, and in late '80s, he appeared on the biggest TV channel here in Brazil, Rede Globo, and told everyone who have copies or originals to destroy them because he made an evil pact to sell his paintings. People say those paintings bring extremely misfortune and disgrace to the owners. This, I can't 100% believe, but the fact is, these are paintings of dead children with a lot of Satanistic reference. A kind of painting that I surely don't want in my house.
1: This boy's actively crying. Yep. So I don't think he's dead.
2: <laughs> it's just uh, decomposition, Sean, I guess. I don't know.
1: It starts with the eyes, it's true. Artistic um,
2: license, maybe. I can't find any record of Giovanni Bragolin appearing on Brazilian TV or Bruno Amadio or, you know, whatever uh, in the late 80s or at any point. So I can't verify that part of the claim. Um, But, you know, that might be something that I might not be able to verify.
1: But somebody might also even do that as a marketing, like a don't see this movie.
2: Yeah, (laughs) right. It's too frightening.
1: This movie may kill you.
2: Other responders to the original forum post has had stories to tell as well, like Rachel, who stated, quote, I have a copy of Braglin's Crime Boy I bought for $10 AU Australia in a secondhand shop. His eyes called me, and though the shop assistants weren't willing to sell him, I talked them around. The background is a dark green forest color. The boy is wearing a dark blue turtleneck sweater and is turned slightly side on. His face looks like he has just been scolded or something for something he didn't know was wrong. And his tears are that of bewilderment and slightly hurt.
1: Yep. I'm looking at this one now.
2: Mm hmm. I work for a lady who has the same boy, but maybe a year younger. He's wearing a red jumper and his face looks more upset and harder than mine. I think she means like the same kind of painting. Mm hmm. I'd like to hear from anyone with these paintings and what they think. Sometimes I feel like this child, who I have named Yorick, is my soul child. And in the future, I'm 19, I will give birth to someone like him. Strange, I know, but the paintings are very powerful. What do you guys think?
1: Count von Kosell vibes <laughs> from that one.
2: And she also included her email address, which I didn't include here, uh, asking people to, to write to her about the painting. So that's weird. <laughs>
1: yeah. It is. Do you want to share her email here? I'm kidding. We're not. Gonna.
2: <laughs> the story also lives on thanks to the Internet, paranormal TV shows, films like Curse of the Crying Boy, and of course, good old creepypasta. I'll wrap up the research here with a clip from BBC Four's Punt P.I., a radio show where host Steve Punt investigated different stories. Here, he tracked down one of the original Crying Boy claims made by a Jane McCutcheon from Nottingham. Oh, and when I walked into the room, there it was, the fire. I just couldn't believe my eyes. It was a blaze. It was touching the ceiling. It was like an inferno, let's say. I was shaking like a leaf, believe me. Just had a new three-piece. That burnt. Uh, I made my own curtains, they burnt. The Venetian blinds, they melted. But the painting wasn't even burnt. You could still see the little boy's face on the picture.
0: It was unscathed? It was, yes. The painting was not only unscathed, it was the reaction of the fireman that was really surprising. He went, oh, no,
2: not another. That's what he turned around and said, remarking on.
0: The picture of the crying boy and it became oh, right. clear that yeah. the crying boy still well, no. looms large in jane's life so would you have that picture in your house again no
2: right. oh, certainly not i don't think any fool would after going through that no i wish i never bought the picture punt himself attempted to light a crying boy picture he was able to purchase on fire for his show but it wasn't really damaged so that does hold water Punt and construction researcher Martin Shipp hypothesized that a fire retardant varnish had been applied to at least this particular picture and that it was printed on compressed board, making it difficult to burn.
1: That's what that uh, fire marshal said or whatever. Yeah, at least about the the, the
2: hardboard, yeah. But uh, obviously, at least for those impacted by the supposed crime boy curse, the experience still looms large in their minds and fears jane certainly still believes in it um and if you're interested you can apparently join the crying boys fan club (laughs) at cryingboyfanclub.nl which i think
1: is netherlands Mm. which is shockingly still up and explores other legends and curses as well so did no one in the u.s have this painting because like i even i just now googled it and the headlines are all things like Is this crying boy painting cursed? I don't fancy finding out.
2: I think it was a very European thing. I mean, a few might have made it over, you know, especially as gifts and things like that, but I don't think it was mass
1: produced and sold here. Crying child paintings are very European. Yeah.
2: As far as I know, there has never been a fire in my aunt and uncle's home. Knock on wood. We we sadly lost my Tia Maria last year, not to a curse but to COVID, which, as we all know, is very real. I expect when I make my way back to Portugal, I'll enter her home and find the paintings still on the wall, silently crying tears that perhaps are mourning her now, his owner for decades having now sadly disappeared. So, Sham, do you believe in the crying boy curse?
1: Um, I mean, no. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> period just no period because so many of them were sold it was a mass piece of art and and that was that one painting then you mix in a bunch of these are with like a different painting no i don't think the concept of children crying in art is cursed by fire that doesn't hold water with me (laughs) enough of that arguably yeah (laughs) yeah There could be like a Dexter-like arsonist figure who's finding the, <laughs> Don kinds, of, Bonillo. the kinds of sick, you know, twisted people who... Uh, maybe Don Bonillo feels like he was kind of used when that painting was, was done.
2: Adopted, painted, mm-hmm. and then abandoned.
1: So now he hunts down anyone who uh, owns that photo, uh, comes in and pastes on some uh, flame retardant lacquer, and then he lights the place up. <laughs>
2: I love him being like a Santa Claus figure that comes into your home to, to naughty girls and boys who own these paintings and set their, sets their stuff on fire. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fun little uh, mythology. I think we should probably start our kids on when they're young and then they'll be like, don't you know about Don Bonio?" to their friends?
1: Yeah. If you're good, he leaves you a smoking jacket. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: want to treat your pup to something special, when you visit www.barkbox.com slash you can receive a free month added to your plan when you sign up for a 6 or 12 month subscription. That's an extra month of two fun toys, two full sized bags of treats, and a tasty chew at no additional cost. Recent box themes have included Home Alone, Liquor Treat, and A Night at the Squeak Easy. Poe loves trying out new toys and treats, and he was psyched to get a BarkBox. Your pup will be too. So sign up at www.barkbox.com slash scary for a free month added to any 6 or 12 month subscription. That's BarkBox.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Give your furry friends something to bark about. We're still on disclosure watch here at Ain't It Scary, so it's time for Crying Saucers. What was that? <laughs> Tom Rogan, commentary writer for the Washington Examiner, and also the name of Beverly's abusive husband, and it, so that's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm
1: sure that's fun for him.
2: <laughs>
1: that's the first thing I would say, too. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know. <laughs> I uh, told Tucker Carlson this week that uh, referring to the UFO disclosure that's upcoming by the Pentagon this June, quote, an area we will learn more about is the interaction between US Navy submarines, nuclear ballistic submarines and attack submarines picking up sonar contact of things moving at hundreds of knots under the water. There is an undersea dimension to this on top of what the pilots are seeing above the water. Whether this being he said being is worldly or otherworldly. We don't know. It's just part of a much larger series of events we are going to be learning about. So get ready because disclosure apparently won't be just about UFOs. It'll also be about USOs or unidentified submerged or submersible objects.
1: I thought Tom DeLong was going to bring us disclosure.
2: Eh, Tom, Tom, potato, potato.
1: It is a potato potato for sure. Potato potato. Did this guy sing for any pop punk bands in the late 90s? No, but he might have
2: abused his wife and Stephen King's It. I don't want to put that on him.
1: No. Hey, are um, Republicans into UFOs now? What's going on with that? Well, we, have, we know Marco Rubio is. Yeah, Marco Rubio, and now you got uh, uh, Mr. Bowtie over on Fox News talking to the alien. He was guy. just receiving the information, just like
2: I receive. I think he receives plenty of other things. <laughs> <laughs> That's here yeah. than So, while being interviewed on the Late Late Show, well, yeah, but
1: MSNBC is not doing anything fun on UFOs that I'm seeing.
2: Well, I don't know. How, how much do you watch MSNBC? Like not
1: yeah, that much. So.
2: While being interviewed on The Late Late Show with James Corden this past Monday, former President Barack Obama was asked by bandleader Reggie Watts, one of your favorites, Sean, mm-hmm. about the existence of UFOs. Here's a clip with his answer.
3: When it comes to aliens, uh, there's some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. Um, but you'll tell us off air? Great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> no, look, look. I, the tr- the truth is that when I came into office I asked right I, I was like, all right you know is, is there the lab somewhere where we're keeping the uh alien specimens in spaceships? Uh, and uh uh my, you know they did a little bit of research and uh, uh the answer was no uh, uh, um but what what is true uh, and i'm I'm actually being serious here is is that uh There are, uh, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain uh, how they moved, their trajectory. Uh, They they did not have um, an easily explainable pattern. And so, you know, I I think that we're, uh, people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. Uh, but I have nothing to report to you today. It's okay.
2: The audience laughs along with him, but I don't think he's joking, Sean.
1: He's not. Well, at the end there, he's not joking.
2: No, but I mean the stuff about, oh, you know, there's nothing. Or I can't tell you. There must be stuff that he knows as a former president that we don't about this topic. And after this, he deflected into very charmingly calling Reggie Watson alien.
1: Well, I've heard the sounds that man can make, sure.
2: <laughs> uh, but I impressive think specimen. I think that's just what it was, a deflection, a distraction. Obama, what do you know?
1: What are you hiding?
2: <laughs> but his emails, wait, no, but his aliens. Perhaps we'll find out next month. Until then, hoping all you Americans have a safe, thoughtful, and relaxing Memorial Day weekend. And everyone else, well, just enjoy your weekend. That's it for this episode of ain't it scary with Sean and Carrie like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ain't it scary and check out our website at ain't scary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a fart. a fart.
1: Don't throw us a fart. <laughs>
2: And throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Currently, we're at 23 five-star reviews. Would love to get 25. Uh, We'll be forever grateful.
1: Yeah, and join us over on Patreon. We have, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a great mini-sode coming this week about Centralia, Pennsylvania, a mining town with fire all underneath it. (laughs) Fire
2: Uh, in its belly, you might say.
1: And we've got uh, fun content uh, coming there all the time and um we're sort of sort of building up a community of cool folks what kind of cool folks well let me tell you we've got nate curtis sean o'donnell jared chamberlain maria ferrante robin mccabe comfy mike and james harrington and those are just our top couple of tiers so just think what could be teeming in the undergrowth (laughs) the underbelly show created by sean mccabe and carrie mccabe music by kyle ryan you can find kyle at his youtube channel music is a verb
2: This has been a production of Longboy Media.
3: From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.